Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Before we do that, I'd just like to remind those who are here, it's something I've been forgetting a lot. Uh, those who are listening online, through the radio, if you'd like to support our ministry, if you're here, of course, our agape box is in the back of the sanctuary. If you'd like to help support our ministry and you're not physically present, we went through some of this board information this week and kind of looked over the whole year and about 50% of our online giving is coming from outside of the church right now. So thank you for those who are supporting us who you don't even walk in our church doors and you're supporting this ministry. It's a great blessing and it has been a great blessing for us. You can find out that information at cclv.org slash donate if you want to go directly there. But other information as well, past teachings are available and information about our church at cclv.org. I want to go ahead and pray for this morning's offering and also ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning. So Father, we thank you for your great grace that you've bestowed upon us. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given to this fellowship. And Lord, we give you praise. Over the last nearly two years now, Lord, you have just provided for this fellowship in ways that are beyond what we would deem our means. And you have allowed us to accomplish much more than we could have hoped or desired. Maybe we desired it, but Lord, some of those desires now become reality. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the friends that you have given our church who support this ministry. Lord, maybe listening through the radio or watching through social media, they become part of the body of Christ here in Lake Villa. And we pray your blessing upon them for those who are able to physically attend. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless us. Pray for those, Lord, who are healing, like Zeth and others in our fellowship from illness, sickness. Pray, Lord, for the family over in Zion that laid to rest this young girl of 23 years old, who the pastor yesterday said, this girl did everything right. And yet still, tragedy came. Lord, I pray that you'd be with this family and that perhaps dealing with these emotions that they have and anger. And Lord, I was thinking this morning of these two little girls who not only be raised up not knowing their mother, but raised up understanding of how mom was killed. And even Lord, years later, there could be anger for these children who yet do not have a proper understanding of these things. So you pray for your grace to be upon them. We pray for your grace, Lord, to be upon us now as we look into your word. Bless us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here in Revelation chapter 18, and I'm going to do my best to kind of finish the book of Revelation before we get into uh, Christmas season and uh, kind of putting a schedule together. That means that our last teaching, if I can stay on schedule, and we have Pastor Kevin uh, taking a week in there as well. If we can stay on schedule, we'll be finishing Revelation chapter 22, the first week of December. Chapter 22 is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Kevin said this week that that's a great Christmas message and the return of Christ. And so we'll see how it goes. But we're going to do our best to kind of work our way through the remainder of this to finish in 2021 before our Christmas season. Maybe it won't work out. If I stay healthy and we're able to stay on track, we'll be uh, finishing up this wonderful book in the Bible. Over our last two studies, we've been looking at Revelation chapter 17, and we saw the rise and destruction of spiritual Babylon a coming one world religion that will deceive the unbelieving world to follow the Antichrist. There is, according to Scripture, a coming one world government that will partner with a coming one world religion. But once this government is established, as we learned, 
at the end of our teaching last week there in Revelation 17, the one world government will come against the one world religion. So the government will use the religion to establish itself. Once it's established, it'll turn on the uh, mystery Babylon, this religion, and destroy her, the woman who rides the beast. God will work through the 10 partnering kings of this government to actually accomplish his purposes. In Revelation 18, we learned of the great wealth here of economic Babylon, which will come really become this world center of commerce. Her dominance, though, in this world will be short-lived. As God will judge this city, we're going to learn about that today. But Babylon has always been in Scripture. We discover it way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 10, we have the chapter that speaks about the 70 nations that came into existence after the flood. And Genesis 10 takes us through the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Jephath and the 70 nations that as we read through Genesis 10. We get to Genesis 11. We come to the Tower of Babel where it says in Genesis 11, 1 through 4, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain that was in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the whole face of the earth. So Babylon has always been this place in the Bible from the Old to New Testament, this place of rebellion against God. Nimrod, according to the word of God, when he's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 10, the Bible says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Some believe that this actually should be translated Nimrod, the mighty hunter against the Lord that he built this empire that included Babel. And there at the Tower of Babel, we find that there were four things that they desired. The four things, they sought a city, a place of protection and economic commerce, instead of trusting in God to protect and provide for their lives. Second, they desired to build a tower whose tops would reach into the heavens, a place of false religion, a place of worship, where they might worship the stars and other created things instead of trusting in the creator of the world, he who had given them life. They also wanted to make a name for themselves, that they might extol their greatness instead of glorifying the God of all creation. And fourth, they did not want to be scattered across the face of the earth, even though God said, fill the earth and subdue it. So they were going directly against the word of God. From about 605 BC to six or 562 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled over Babylon and he would have fulfilled Nimrod's desire at that time. The city of Babylon was a city that was 15 miles square. It had a wall that surrounded it that uh, just from the ruins today, as they look at this, they say that that wall was large enough that six chariots could have raced around the perimeter of the city wall side by side. So not in roll, but six side by side. Additionally, they had towers built into the city where many different gods were worshipped. And Babylon became the economic center of the world. In 541 BC, Babylon was conquered in one night by Cyrus and also Darius, kings of the Medes and the Persians. They accomplished this great feat because the Euphrates River ran right through the city and they had gates on either side of the city, outer gates and inner gates. And so what they did was they stopped the flow of the Euphrates River. They were able to march in the city on a dry river's bed and they came in and they found that the inner gates were left unlocked. 
The people were partying. They were besieged, they were surrounded, but they had no fear that they would be conquered. And in one night, their city was left conquered by the Medes and the Persians. In 331 BC, Alexander the Great surrounded the city and they gave up. Once again, conquered in one night. They didn't even battle. They threw open the gates and received him without a fight. And Alexander wanted to make Babylon his world headquarters. But if you know the account of Alexander the Great, uh, he got drunk one night and uh, he was kind of bemoaning the fact that such a young age that he had conquered the whole world. It's like what's left for a man to do is conquered the whole world. He got drunk. He walked out in the rain. He got pneumonia. He died at the age of 33. And Babylon went into the control of one of his four generals. And although the area of Babylon has had populations surrounding it, even to this day, scripturally speaking, it has never been utterly destroyed. Even though it's been destroyed, it lies in ruins today, there's still a population around it. So what scripture has prophesied about Babylon, uh, we can't quite say that with 100% it has been fulfilled. So we still look to this area of Babylon and the Bible here in the book of Revelation speaks about its fall here in Revelation chapter 18. Today, the fall of Babylon, Revelation 18, we're going to see Babylon has fallen, verses 1 through 4. Render a double portion, verses 5 through 8. Kings, merchants, and shipmasters, 9 through 19. And a mighty angel, 20 through 24. Let's go ahead and I'll read verses 1 through 4. Open us up in our First point, Babylon is fallen. The word of God tells us in Revelation 18, verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive her plagues. So here we have this unholy dwelling in verses 1 and 2. After John had seen the destruction of religious Babylon, the woman who rides the beast, he said another angel came forth. Another in the Greek, here the word alas, it means another of the same kind or class of angel. So he had been talking about angels in Revelation 17, another angel of the same class or kind came forth. This angel was not, though, one of the seven angels who had the seven bold judgments of God, as we read in chapters 16 and 17. But perhaps this angel had a greater role. He's described as having great authority. He's described as illuminating the earth. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, the word of God tells us, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. Another angels, perhaps one of these heavenly principalities or powers. Another angel, he cries out. In Revelation 14, 8, we learned of an angel crying out these words, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath of fornication. So back in Revelation chapter 14, we were given a, a glimpse, a preview, and then they go on to describe the events of that fall. We find that she has fallen, she has fallen, and what has she done? She made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
Many are corrupted today in fornication against the Lord. They seek to serve many other things than Jesus Christ. They think of serving themselves, of serving others, serving the governments of our world, perhaps, of serving a cause. And even, here it is, October 31st, serving demonic spirits. Uh, if you listen to David Fiorazzo on Friday's show, he had a young girl who now teaches a women's Bible study up in Wisconsin, and she said as early as the age of three years old that there were demonic forces in play in her life. And finally, she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so kind of through David and this young lady speaking on that uh, podcast this week, just amazing what God did to redeem this woman and to use her to serve him today, but also the darkness. And I've heard this a lot about the state just north to us here, um, that there is a lot of activities and demonic activities taking place in that area and people giving themselves over to the occult. So an interesting show to listen to. But Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, saying, now in the latter times, the Spirit expressly says, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, to doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. In the last days, demonic activity will increase, according to Paul. And we are no doubt living in those last days. Just think about from me and uh, a young boy in the 1960s into the 70s, we had um, Bewitched and the fun episodes on TV, which they made them fun. But um, I'll never forget uh, Happy Days episode. I believe I was in the fifth or sixth grade when this aired. And at that time, everybody wanted to be like the Fonz. I even remember dressing up Halloween at school, I found a jacket. If you remember the early episodes of Happy Days, Fonzie didn't have a, at first, he didn't have a leather jacket. That was something that Henry Winkler brought into that character. He grabbed the leather and started wearing the leather. He had this jacket that I had one like it. And so I went to school trying to dress up like the Fonz and then put the collar up, you know, and looking cool. I just messed up my microphone, but, um, they had an episode on Happy Days where Fonzie was dealing with Satan's nephew. And there was this demonic, what they deemed a fun character. But every time this character did some kind of magic, he would use the word Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a term that means the Lord of the Flies. And the next day at school, we had kids running around saying Beelzebub. Back in the, those days, you saw an episode once. And that was it. You didn't get to watch it on, uh, you couldn't record it. No such devices. And it might replay later on. But one episode and children are crying out one of the demonic names of Satan. And that was cute, was it? Spirits in the latter days, deceiving spirits, doctrine of demons. And we need to pray for God's protection over people tonight because I've heard of this night. It's believed by those who are of the occult that this is their high day. This is the night where the spirits and the realms between the two worlds um, have this greater advantage of opening up between those two realms. And for some, this is a night where they may be indoctrinated into the darkness of this world and the spirit realm. So the Grapes of Wrath, yes, I was thinking of an old movie of a family from many years ago when I put this title into play. And actually the title comes from a source from Revelation chapter 14 saying that we are the grapes of God's wrath is where they got that film title from. But here we find in verse 3, all the nations have become drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Fornication, pornea, in the Greek, technically means any unlawful sexual activity, but here symbolically referring to idolatry, the forsaking of the true God in order to worship idols. And all nations of the earth will be impacted by this coming Babylon. All nations will drink the wine of the wrath of her fornications. The kings of the earth will commit fornication with her. The merchants of the earth will become rich through her abundance of luxury. Jeremiah 51, 7, we have one of these Babylon prophecies where it says, Babylon was the golden cup in the Lord's hand that made the, all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine Therefore, the nations are deranged. God uses, allows these things to take place to accomplish his will in this world. Babylon will become an economic center in the latter days, according to scripture. In times past, many have pointed to the United States, New York, as a New York City properly, as a type of this Babylon. And yet we know in the United States that we are losing our grip as a superpower. In fact, those who look at biblical prophecy, uh, some try to read the United States into biblical prophecy, but really we're not a player in the last days. We have been a player for the last hundred plus years in the world, especially with the World War I, World War II, our dominance uh, militarily in the world has held for a long time, but things are changing rapidly. And yet there's unfulfilled prophecies concerning Babylon. Although Babylon was captured by the Medes and the Persians in one night, they gave up to Alexander the Great in one night. Isaiah 13, 19 and 20 tells us, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch his tents there, nor will shepherds make their sheepfolds there. So think about that. Babylon will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Today, we can find the ruins of Babylon. We cannot find the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. We believe we know where they're at, that they're there at the Dead Sea, uh, one of the lowest places on earth, and uh, the saltiest water, salt content in a normal ocean is about 3%. There at the Dead Sea, it's about 30%. They tell you, don't open your eyes when you float. It's so thick, you can float. I just, my belly must be too big because still had, a, I was looking forward to planking flat on my back on the Dead Sea. It didn't work quite that well for me. And somebody I love very dearly got salt in her eyes, so I had to go help her. So that area, that region believed to be that area where Sodom and Gomorrah is, nobody's settling there. Never to be inhabited again. Well, there in Babylon today, I'm reading uh, from an article that was actually written in October. I believe it was. Let me go back in my notes. I can find it here. Yeah, October 20th, just this year. So although Babylon was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2019, there isn't much left to see of this once unstoppable empire that dazzled Greek historians and enslaved its rivals. The article goes on to say, especially Judah. If you took a trip to Babylon today, located about 55 miles south of Baghdad, you would see a tacky recreation built by Saddam Hussein in the 1970s that's been partly destroyed by decades of war. It's a sad ending to such a fabled city. But see, prophecy-wise, it's not the ending because God said, Isaiah 13, that it would never be inhabited. Today, shepherds 
and Arabians can pitch their tents there. Flocks could be seen there. In fact, there's a city that is within its region that has about 500,000 people living in that area. So it's not far from a very populated area. So is it truly the end of this once fabled city? Or will God do a work in the last days that will fit perfectly into the prophecy of Scripture? And I believe that he will. What God says, he will bring forth. Isaiah 33, 10 through 12 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That used to be said of the United States. And I believe the United States has been so greatly blessed because we at one time were a nation whose God is the Lord. That scripture goes on to say, Psalm 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who has chosen, he has chosen as his own inheritance. In verse 4, it tells us, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. So generally, during the tribulation period, when it says my people, it's speaking about the nation of Israel here. It could also speak about those who come to faith in Jesus Christ during this time. But what I want us to notice is that the very prophecy itself, the way it's worded, I think this is important, that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prisoner of every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated birds. All the nations became drunk of the wine of the wrath of fornication. But the people of God are still in the city. So God calls out to the people saying, come out of her or you're going to experience or take part of that fall. So Babylon, historically, Israel has had a presence in this city. The Babylonian Talmud was written there in the 5th century, that would be A.D., was written there in Babylon. The Jewish people, even though they were captured by, ne Alex by King Nebuchadnezzar, I'll get it out, history flowing through my mind right now. Even though they were captured, spent 70 years in captivity, God uh, allowed the Medes and the Persians to conquer Babylon. The Mede, King Sarius, said, you guys can go back home. Babylon remained a place where Jews lived, even in the 5th century when the Babylonian Talmud was issued from this area of Babylon. All believers, though, though they are in the world, we need to know that we are not of the world. Think of this in verse 4. God said, come out of her, my people. And we're in the world, much like Babylon, this wicked place described to us in the Bible. There were people of God in the city, perhaps some of the wickedness led people to become people of God. Because of the wickedness, they came to faith in God. There's a point to where the Lord called them out. The Lord is also, as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he calls us out of the world. Though we are in the world, we're not to be of the world. And the Lord is gracious. And I believe this is part of the, the last days for the church itself, that God will one day have a call to the church saying, come out of her. We know this is the rapture of the church, and he calls us out. In verses 5 through 8, I'll read the context. It says, here, render to her a double portion. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her, just as she rendered to you, repay her a double portion of her works. In the cup which she has mixed for her double, in the measure which she has glorified herself, live luxuriously. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she has said in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. 
Although God is merciful and gracious, there are limits to his mercy and grace. I believe this can happen individually to us uh, before we're believers in Jesus Christ to the unbelieving world that God may put calls on individuals to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. But as they continually reject the call of God in their hearts, continually reject and their own conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron, God can have a limit of that call and say, okay, you've rejected my son. Now you will pay the price of that rejection. He does that also in the natural law of sowing and reaping. Babylon had sowed evil upon the world, and now she is going to reap God's destruction. I love the end of that in verse 8, for it says, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We sow to the flesh by seeking after the things of this world. We sow to the Spirit by seeking after Jesus. Through studying his word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, these are ways that we can sow to the Spirit of Christ. There's going to be a day of death and mourning and famine, as we read in verses 7 through 8, because Babylon glorified herself, lived luxuriously. She measured out torment and sorrow to others. God said, you will twofold receive it back. When God judged Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, actually his yeah, grandson, I was thinking great-grandson, it could be Belshazzar. In one night, Babylon fell. On that night, if you remember, according to Daniel chapter 5, there was the handwriting on the wall. Babylon was surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. Remember I, I told you how they diverted the Euphrates River, dried up the riverbed, and just marched into the city. While all that was going on, they thought, Go ahead, besiege our city. We have enough food here. We can last it out. And they were partying according to the word of God. Daniel chapter 5. Then there was a point where Belshazzar said, get the items from the temple in Jerusalem that my you know, father, Nebuchadnezzar, when he captured the city, bring them out of the storehouses, the treasury, and they drank out of the holy cups and the implements of the temple of God. They were drinking wine out of these things. And while they were drinking wine, making mockery of God, a hand appeared and wrote these words, meanie, meanie, tekel, you farsen. Now, none of the wise men could translate this. In fact, it was grandma who had to come to the rescue and tell her grandson, you know, there is a man here in Babylon who hears from the God of Israel. And they sent for Daniel to interpret the meaning of these words. His interpretation found in Daniel 5, verses 25 and 28 says, Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have become weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. The Babylon of Revelation is proud and haughty, describing herself as a queen, not a widow, she said, one who will not see sorrow. She'll attract the attention of the world, and many will partake in her wealth and her luxury. But those who partake in her wealth and luxury, we find that they will also partake in her judgment. Revelation 18:10 and 17 tells us that Babylon's judgment will come in one hour. For strong is the Lord who judges her. Isaiah 13:9 and 11 says, "Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it." Verse 11, "I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their their iniquity, 
I will halt the arrogance of the proud. I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. At the end of the age, Babylon will be weighed in the balances like Belshazzar, one of their past kings. She will be weighed in the balances and found wanting. But you know that scripture that Paul gave from Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8? It's a scripture for all of us, really, where the Bible tells us that do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap of the flesh. If he sows to the spirit, he will reap of the spirit. We desire to be those who sow to the spirit that we might reap spiritual things, both here on this earth, but also in heaven. At the end of the age, Babylon will be weighed in the balances and found wanting. We read in verses 9 through 19, I won't read this all at once, we'll take it as it's divided, where it speaks about the kings, the merchants, and the shipmasters. We begin with the kings, verses 9 and 10, it tells us, And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. The kings of the earth, those who lived luxuriously with her, Now, this Greek word for luxuriously, it has this sense of the act of wantonness. To be wanton speaks about cruel or violent action, deliberate, unprovoked. In criminal law, they would describe it as an act of one man toward another person without regards to its rights. We've seen a lot of this in our country over the last year or so, where people are just in the larger cities especially, just this act of wantonness in the sense of their cruel violence where they're harming people. Sometimes you've seen the videos of, now I'm thinking someone my age and a young punk, I'll say it, running up and just slamming them to the ground for no cause, no reason. This is that sense, not just living luxuriously, but harming people in the process. James 5, 1 and also verses 5 and 6 tells us, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So there is a coming day for those who in their unjust ways who have taken advantage of others, God will judge one day. That is going to take place in Babylon with the kings of the earth. Why the kings of the earth stand at a distance? Some believe that they're standing at a distance because there have been some kind of nuclear or chemical warfare that had taken place that prevents people from getting too near. They don't want to be impacted. They're standing back from a safe distance. On the other hand, John, in the book of Revelation, described at one point this great mountain, a meteor coming from heaven, being thrown into the sea. So I believe that God can do some supernatural work. He can use the weapon of our warfare to cause this destruction in one day, in one hour, or he can just do it supernaturally. Either way, the kings of the earth stand back. They weep and mourn over Babylon. Isaiah 55:11 tells us, so God speaking, my word that, that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. We also find the merchants of the earth, verses 11 through 16. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver. Precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet. Every kind of citron wood, every kind and object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, 
bodies of souls of men. The fruit that you're so long for has gone from you. All the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. You shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who become rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city which is clothed with fine linen, purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. If you remember when Babylon the Great, the woman who rides the beast, came on the scene in Revelation 17, she adorned herself with fine linen of purple and scarlet, with gold, precious stone, and pearls. They are mimicking the woman who rides the beast. They have the same adornment. These, the merchants who had become rich, but also notice the last two things. Of all the merchandise that's listed out in this text, some of that long list came down to the bodies and the souls of men. Uh, this might refer to the trade of prostitution and slavery. Many people, though, sell their souls daily to the wealth of this world, the pleasures of this world. The Bible reminds us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5, saying, Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness yet denying his power from such people turn away. The Bible teaches that we are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. And fortunately, Jesus had bore our sins upon the cross that we might be set free from the slavery of sin and bondage. In Romans 6, 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And Romans 6, 18 saying, Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. We can become in bondage. People don't have to sell us into bondage as we've read on Wednesday evening, looking at the account of Joseph in the book of Genesis, how his brothers captured him, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave, and he then was bought there in Egypt. You don't have to physically be captured and sold. We can do this ourselves. But the Lord Jesus Christ has set a way that we could be set free. The great city Babylon is the woman who rides the beast. She had arrayed herself in purple and scarlet, adorned herself with gold and precious stones, pearls, and having her cup full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. The merchants of the earth, they participated in that. We do not have to participate in such things. Also, the shipmasters of the sea. I can't help but think about shipping industry today and how what's happening with ships parked off our coast just waiting to be unloaded. So this is kind of easy to see. Shipmasters of the sea, verses 17 through 19, it tells us in one hour, such great riches come to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, as many as trade on the sea, stood in a distance. They cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads. Must have been some dirty ships. Didn't keep their ships clean there. They threw dust on their heads. They cried out, weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, that great city in which all the ships of the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. So not only impacting the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, but also the shipmasters, those who are involved in the shipping industry. Right now, 95% of the world commerce is moved about by shipping industry today. It's pretty amazing. And the Bible prophesied about it concerning the last days. That's why Jesus said for us, do not lay up your treasures 
on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth nor rust can destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. These shipmasters, the kings, the merchants, they laid up their treasures in earthly things. And when they saw Babylon's destruction, they wept and they wailed over her fall. But then a mighty angel, we finish out in verses 20 through 24. Listen to how heaven rejoices in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy angels and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. All heaven, because God has avenged all heaven upon the wrath of Babylon that's come upon Babylon, who fell in one day and one hour, the holy angels, the apostles, the prophets, they rejoice there in heaven. They rejoice. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 6.10, we have the martyrs crying out to the Lord saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? God will answer their prayer. In Revelation 19.2, it tells us, True and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. God will, again, whatever a man sows, that he will reap. As a great millstone, we finish out in verses 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel, took up a great stone, like a millstone, threw it into the sea. Thus, with great violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down. It shall not be found anymore. The sound of the harpists, musicians, musicians, sorry, I've always flipped those two words. Magic or music, I don't know. It always confuses me. Flautists, trumpeters, shall not be heard anymore. No craftsmen of any craft, no bricklayers. How sad. Shall be found anymore. I used to be a brickler. That's the only reason I said that. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of a bridegroom or a bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For merchants were the great men of the earth. For your sorcery, for all the nations were deceived. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints of all who were slain on the earth. Like a great millstone being thrown into the sea. Talking about a millstone um, of great weight of 2,000 pounds or more when you think about the word used in the Greek language in Bible days. Uh, you're not going to lift that up by just normal means any longer. It's gone. Like a great millstone, this angel casts Babylon into the sea. Babylon will at that time be filled with the best musicians, a city built by the best craftsmen, having the best merchandise. It would seem to the world to be the light of the world where the bride and the bridegroom would say, oh, let's get married in Babylon. That's where we want to have our destination wedding, but no more. The merchants of Babylon will be merchants of renown. Sorcery, she will deceive the whole world, but there'll be a point to where God will cut it all off. When I think about Babylon in the Bible, what's described here, and I think about the United States, I actually, many years ago, looked at New York City as an economic center in our world, Las Vegas being that kind of pleasure place in our world. Uh, New Orleans, the occult, is greatly I tell you, tonight's going to be a big day in New Orleans and the occultic worship that takes place there. As bad as these three cities might be from a spiritual sense uh, through the economic center of New York City or Las Vegas and that pleasure side or the occultic side of New Orleans, all these three, imagine if you took all these three cities and rolled them into one location. That is what Babylon is described as in Scripture. And yet God calls for his people saying, verse 4, 
Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. That's a call that God continues to give to this day. We are in this world, but we are not to be of this world. The Lord Jesus has given us a way of escape, but we must look to Jesus if we are going to be saved. Perhaps today the Lord is calling out to you to come out of her. Will you heed that call? Let's go ahead and stand together. I'm going to bring the worship team up as we close out in one last song. I'm going to close this out in prayer here for a moment. And uh, I would just ask that during this prayer time, I'll be down front if anybody needs prayer. Um, I would just be down front to pray with you if you have a prayer desire. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I would love to share with you how you could do that. It's very simple. Jesus has done the work, but you have to cry out to him in life-saving faith. So as the worship team closes out in this last song, as we worship together in this last song, again, if you have a prayer need, I'll be down front that I might be able to pray with you. And also I'd like to encourage you, and we do have a physical camera up here. Be careful if you come forward. The prayer benches are open. And uh, I just look forward to the day where we see the prayer benches used here in our church, whether you're kneeling where you're at. I've done that before. Whether you come forward and just kneel down at the prayer benches or kneel down at one of the pews here at the front of the church. But whatever need you might have, you don't have to tell me. Cry out to Jesus. He hears our cry. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us as we close out in worship now. Work in this place, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us here today. And we pray that God would bless your day, that you would look to Jesus Christ as your help and your hope always. Pray that God would bless you and keep you. May his countenance shine upon you and give you peace. And Lord, may we look to you for our salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.